Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Random. Berto is your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great, great, great show for you today. E2247 is in the house. Welcome aboard. Bridge MCP is in the house. Michael Rodnan is in the house. And of course, we've got Alistair Eve, Alistair Waters. How you doing, my dear friend? Michael Rodnan says, well, anyway, I'll get to Michael in a little bit. We also have Lynn Halsey Taylor, who thinks I am the dumb and dumber hour with E.G. Egghead. Okay, my dear, beautiful Lynn Halsey Taylor. Still love you, girl. And so is Sister Jen. And of course, we have Paul Fleming in the house. Welcome aboard, Paul Fleming. Who else is in? If I'm missing anybody, I'd like to get folks real quick up in the front. We've also got, we've also got uh, May Wood. And Michael Rudnan says both Lynn and Jen are, are bots. Uh, you know what? I tell you, you, you know, Michael, we can figure out if they're bots right now. We can ask them, if you are not a bot, each one of you, type this for me. I love Michael Rodnan. I want you to type that, uh, uh, Halsey, and I want you to type that, Lynn. I want each of you that Michael just called a bot, both Lynn and Jan, tell Michael Rodnan you love him right now. Hey, Yvette Avery Herod, our Union Specialist, beautiful event is in the house. Welcome aboard, folks. Anyhow, let's get busy with Michael. Michael, I want you to forgive me. I saw your text, but I have not yet taken care of it. I mean, it's 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 a crazy weekend. And like I said, I, I'm doing this all alone. So forgive me. I will get to it. I promise you, sir. Lee Grant is in the house. He says, hey, y'all. Alistair Eve says, me too. You see, everybody loves you, Michael Rudnan. But if we don't see, put it this way. I want Lynn to acknowledge Michael Rudnan. And I want, well, who are the two ladies again? I want them both to acknowledge you, Michael. And if they don't acknowledge you, please feel free to officially consider them a bot and get rid of them. But I want to hear them communicate, communicate with us. In English. Anyway, let's go with, let's start with Michael. He said, first of all, I would say E2247 was the first on. So I've got to read his note. He says, hello, relatives. Today's visit will be the greatest ever. Thank you, buddy, for being here. Uh, then we also have, who else we got here? We got here, we got here. Egberto, the two videos I sent over, like I told you, Michael, forgive me. I will get to those. I will get to those. But before I get to those videos, etc., etc. Um, and before I answer all of you today, I want you to listen to a friend of mine called me up. And I'm going to read all that you guys put out there today. I'm going to read your stuff, Michael. I'm going to read everybody's stuff. But a, a friend of mine, a political friend that we meet, we, we used to meet up all the time, Coffee Party also, uh, Netroots and all these other places. He said, Egberto, you have to meet this particular guy. This is a guy who is running for Ohio representative, U.S. House. 7th District in Ohio. And I said, man, uh, Matthew, if you recommend this guy coming from you, I know it's for real. And I was really impressed with this guy who is running for the 7th District. And it's not an unwinnable district. So I want you to listen to him. And for all of you, my listeners in Ohio, I want you guys to think about this guy and see what he has to offer. Young blood, good ideas, and he has the bona fides para hacer lo que es necesario hacer, to do what's necessary. So let's go ahead and play that now, and then we'll take it on the other side. 
Welcome to another edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us. Today, we have the honor of speaking to Matthew Deemer. Matthew Deemer is running for Congress in District 7 in Ohio. We all know the state of Ohio. We all know the state of the country. We all know that it's time for us to get new blood into making a difference in America. Matthew Deemer, welcome to Politics and Right. How are you doing today? <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, Matthew, before we even get started, uh, I know you're an owner of a small media company, etc. But there was something intriguing in reading about you that that really got to me. Um, back in the 90s, I spent some time in China trying to learn the language. I understand that oh, cool. you know how to speak the language fluently and um, and write it. That's a hell of an undertaking. Is that correct? <laughs> Well, let's say at one point, we'll, we'll call it, I was an expert in Chinese, uh, but, you know, I haven't spoken much over the years, so it has dwindled. I'll say I'm pretty good at, I'm conversational. You drop me off anywhere in, in the country, I'll be, able, I'll be able to navigate life just just fine. But uh, it has dwindled down, and you are correct. Yeah, we, I spent a lot of time uh, le- learning the language and, and uh, in the culture. You may find it surprising that I started or interviewed there, but I think that speaks, that's a very... It is something that a lot of people would overlook initially until they understand what's all about. You want to bring back commerce to Ohio. You want to bring back business to Ohio. You want to make sure that you get people engaged in Ohio. One of the things is that with your biggest competitor, not being able to negotiate through a third party, but understand exactly what is occurring when you're here in discussions. Elaborate. Well, yeah, this is what I think one of the biggest things is I think that um, we have we have hear a lot of talk about let's compete with China, let's outcompete China, let's get tough on China is always a big uh, talking point. But a lot a lot of politicians haven't been there. They don't they didn't understand like what's going on. Now there are seasoned people, uh, politicians that are have been in Washington and do understand what's going on from you know policy standpoints and so on and so forth. But I, I think that there is an sense of urgency besides the talking points and the rhetoric because you did not see how they've developed and you didn't see the potential of, of America as well. When I got to China in 2005 uh, and I was living in Beijing, Beijing had uh, three subway lines, the one, the two and the 13. And by the time I left, they had uh, about 20. You know, I, when I got to Beijing, it took me an overnight train to get from Beijing to Shanghai. And now you can get there. Um, I can leave at lunch and get there before dinner. You know, they just released uh, the fastest train in the world where uh, you can leave <laughs> right before dinner and get there again right before dinner. You know, so uh, you get to uh, Beijing uh, to, uh, from Shanghai to Beijing and, you know, about two hours. So. I also saw, you know, the, the, the emerging middle class. I saw when I got, got to Beijing, the two bedroom, one bathroom apartment that I was living in was about $30,000. When I left, it was about a half a million. I saw, you know, people move into middle class, buying cars, homes, you know, getting, putting their kids to, to school and, you know, retiring. And, and I was just saying, think, looking at this and going, these are manufacturing jobs. These are, you know, new tech jobs. These are, this is a huge emerging economy. And while I, when I came back to the U.S., I saw, oh, those were our jobs. Those were the things that we should be building here. And I think that once I saw that, I saw the one, the potential, I saw the loss, and I see that there's a sense of urgency to not only, uh, you know, bring all of that back here, but also we need to really start planning long-term, not just, you know, every two years, you know, in every election cycle, every four years in every election cycle, you know, for Senate, maybe six, every six years, but literally look at a 20 year plan of where does America want to be in the year, uh, 2040, I'm sorry, 20, yeah, 2040, 2050, or, or the, you know, early, uh, 
even further than that. Now, Matthew, what we have learned to do here in America for some time now is to think exactly as you mentioned. We, we, we think in, we think in sound bites. We also think in short term, in the short term only. We don't think about planning and the results are evident. Ohio is the, is a prototypical and, and, you know, even your district is a prototypical example of what happens when you have short-term thinking? You get a society in decline that is easily manipulated against their own interests. Now you are in a at least a plus thirty R district. You are that is not no, that is not true. It's a plus four to seven. And that's why we're running this race and it's winnable. So a I'm lot of people. I'm glad that you corrected no, me. No, we have to correct people on this because this is what people think is that there, that this is a completely red state, uh, that the, these districts are not winnable. This is not Jim Jordan's district. Jim Jordan is an R plus 30. Mm-hmm. So who's running against Jim Jordan is going to have, a, it's, it's very uphill. This one is winnable. And with the current uh, uh, decisions that are being passed down from like the Supreme Court, uh, with certain things that are happening around the country that people are seeing that they're very you know, concerned about and fed up with, this is the time that this district gets flipped. Well, you know, let me, let me, let me tell you, I, I was saying plus 30, and even with a plus 30, I was about to say, you have a hell of a chance to win given the way that you uh, promote the policies of the district, but I'm even more, uh, I'm even happier now that you have a better chance of winning. Uh, now that you're telling me it's plus four plus maybe plus four max plus seven, because that is definitely winnable given the current policies of the Supreme court and given a, a what I call a proactive campaign. Uh, I find that too many folks that are, uh, that, that are in, in your space have a tendency to run a cautious campaign. They try to be, uh, let, let, let's, let's not, let's try to be that guy who is more, who people think are more likely to win that district. Let's be the light version of that person, as opposed to a proactive argument that says, this is what I am going to do in the district for you. Tell me, what are you going to do? What are you going to tell those people that, that are so far indoctrinated with with that modal. What are you going to tell them that you are going to do to make their lives better? And even if they don't like you, even if they don't like what you represent, they are going to vote for you because they're seeing your interest, their interest in your vote. Well, I want to push back on a word that you used, uh, indoctrinated. I okay. think that it's not indoctrination. I okay. think that it is uh, either... Um, Apathy or cynicism, mm-hmm. because we have a lot of people that are running for for Congress. So Congress has a sixteen percent approval rating, mm-hmm. and th- and and honestly, that that's because they ju- Congress people they run. Uh, they only meet their people when they're running. Uh, we've learned that to uh, win, you raise a lot of money. So a lot of money in politics. Uh, some people don't even uh, campaign in the district, so all they do is send flyers and mailers, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, do uh, TV digital ads. So they're not even down in their district. And then when they go to Washington, you never see your congressman any- anymore. And so if you have this cycle after cycle, and it's only exacerbating because of the amount of money, uh, you're going to have a lot of people that are just you know, hands off and fed up and fed up and frustrated. So it's not indoctrinated. I think it's just, we don't know if this actually works. And so we're running a campaign that is going to be in the district. That's going to talk to people. I was just out all day yesterday. I started at nine o'clock and I ended at nine o'clock and I drove uh, over 200 miles around my district with, with my film crew to film a new campaign video uh, because I wanted to make sure that I was getting film 
of the town, of the people, of the places. So they know that we are in the district. And while I was doing that, I was shaking hands. I was introducing myself. I was at small towns and big towns alike. And that's what we need to see more of. I am running as a representative. I'm trying to go to Washington, D.C. to represent the district, the people. And the only way to do that is to go out there and talk to them and to be, to be there. And this is what we want to change. And so I just wanted to push back a little bit on that to make sure that everybody knew that I understand why you're frustrated. I'm frustrated too. And that's why I'm in the race. And so the only way we can change this is to have elect people that are going to be out there talking to you. Now, how are we going to do that? How are we going to represent people into in Washington? And that's by talking to them. And that's just not talking to your bubble, to your group. Not just, you know, if, for example, my, my competitor, uh, he is, you know, just getting money from really big companies or organizations or PACs. And that's the bubble he's going to talk to. You have to get out there and talk to everybody. Because as you said in the intro, you know, this is a district that has seen their jobs go to China. We, we've had Ford plants here shrink from uh, in Brook Park, the Brook Park uh, Ford plant. You know, had 16,000 workers at one point. Now it's around 3,000 workers. You know, people see this. People understand what's going on. And the only way you get out there is talking to the D's and the R's, the progressives and the conservatives, the people that are indifferent, that's in the middle, the people that want to do something but don't know what party they're going to be, be with. Who, who, who's going to listen to me? That's the, those, are, those are those people we have to talk to. And then if you continue to have those conversations and you continue to be on the ground, then you can go to Washington and actually advocate for your district. And that's what we're doing. Pushback accepted, pushback understood as well. Thank you. Let me go ahead. <laughs> Thank and, you. <laughs> let me go ahead and say add, add something else and and get your point of view on this. Uh, you mentioned where your your at your 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 opponent is getting funded from. Now it is a fact. I speak about this on politics done right all of the times that those same people that are funding your opponent are the same people that are causal in those jobs leaving Ohio. Have you made the connection as you promote yourself that in voting for your opponent, they're actually voting for exactly what has been occurring in Ohio and specifically in your district? Well, I, I, we've made a lot of connections. And I think one of the biggest connections that we are trying to make is that, look, one thing that is a big talking point right now, and everybody's feeling it, is gas prices, right? Mm -hmm. $5 a gallon. This went down. It's about four or something. That's still not, that's right. still not doable crazy, for a lot of yes. It's still crazy, right? And so Democrats, Republicans alike uh, understand that these are high gas prices. What I'm trying to really tell people is that you really... You really need people to uh, that actually understand what's happening. It has felt it in their pocketbook. That it felt it feels in their daily day to day life. One thing my opponent my opponent has is a either between and this is all public information. Uh, you know from uh, your our ethics reports. A lot of people I don't know um, know this, but everybody who runs for Congress has to disclose all of their personal finances, and so you have to put your stocks, your um, your your real estate, you know any sources of income or any kind of boards you sit on where you have influence, and you have to. Disclose that. And so by looking at the, the disclosures, the financial disclosures, he has trust funds of anywhere between $4.5 million and $14 million. Uh, he has not worked uh, a job. He has been, you know, uh, 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 in the reserves, I, right. he did work in in the in the White House, but you know, not day to day. He's never had to worry about five dollar gas prices. He would never have to worry if even if the gas prices go to ten dollars. But so this is what we're trying to say is like this: people like this that are going to 
try to buy their way into office that are just getting cozying up to very, very rich uh, donors and influence is going to advocate for that rich donor and influence. And is not actually going to understand how to talk to the people, go out there and advocate to what's really important. It's, it's for the, like you said earlier, it's a soundbite to them. The $5 gas prices is a soundbite to us. It is, it is, it is day-to-day life that we have to live and figure out how to manage those gas prices. Did I understand you right that that saying your opponent was a reservist who then became a politician uh, who then acquired assets between four and 14 million dollars on a job that pays one hundred and ninety thousand dollars? He uh, is he's 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 old old legacy money here in Cleveland. Uh, his family is uh, his family is known. His one is his uh, grandfather is one of the most influential people in the Cleveland area. Uh, he has had a trust fund uh, from it looks like uh, in the ethics reports since 1989. It's called the grandfather or grand, grandkids trust from their their family plus other trusts and totaling around four to fourteen million dollars. He has never had to worry about money. He has never had to work a day in his life. He has never had to. He's and in, in, in he's moved into the district. He's actually from the other side of town. Right. He bought two houses here in the district, one for $500,000 and one for $1.3 million. So <laughs> this is not the, a man of the people. This is not somebody that's going to be working for you. He's going to be working against you. And I, that, I want to segue there exactly now about your beginnings. I usually start with action and then we get into the other things because people, most of the times when they're going to watch a new story. They want to know what are you going to do for me? I think you've done a pretty darn good job in explaining that. I have a couple more questions on that, but let's, let's tell folks a little bit about who are you? How'd you grow up? Why do you understand what people are going through? You lived it. Well, uh, <laughs> I always love the, the history bios because it, it can take either a short time or a long time. Um, but I was born in a Slavic village. Um, my parents were around 24 years old uh, when they had three kids. Uh, we were on, on, on food stamps, you know, the kind that you tear it out the thing and mm-hmm. you gave it to the, and, and so, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was tough going when we were, when we were kids and my, my dad had went through a university while he had three kids. So my mother was a stay at home mom and she watched us while my dad went to school and work. Um, and you know, ended up getting his, his master's and we moved around the district. So, one thing that I, I really uh, pride myself telling people is not only did we have you know humble beginnings, but I saw the work ethic of my parents that instilled with me about you know trying to you know uh, just you know get the job done and get get to, get to work and provide for us kids. It, that also gave us the opportunity to move all around the district. So I grew up in Slavic Village. I, I, I lived in a place called Bedford. Um, I lived in um, you know uh, Chardon and Solon and Twinsburg and Streetsboro. I'm currently in Bay Village, and so we, we I got this whole big exposure. I, I, I went to I grew up with, with a lot of you know uh, mentors uh, growing up, and so I've I've learned you know a lot of different uh, skills you know from them, and 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 I think that that really translates to understanding or hopefully relating to people uh, a lot, so I can advocate for those these different demographics within the district. We have a district with a rural population that's, that's very big and a huge ag- agriculture, but also we have, you know, a white collar, uh, middle class. Uh, we have, uh, you know, the, the blue collar uh, working communities as well. And so, and I've grown, grown up and, and, and on all of those places. <laughs> and, and, and that's what I really want to, you know, tell people is like, 
this is part of my life. The, the world agriculture is part of my life. We're living out in, in, in more uh, rural places. These, the inner cities is also part of my life. The, the blue collar is part of my life. Uh, my dad worked in steel forging when he was going through college. And, and so that was a part of our, our lives. My grandfather owns a steel forging plant. That, that was a part of our life. And I've heard stories my whole life about steel coming from different places, our steel uh, factories closing down here in, in uh, Cleveland and the hardships that that provided and finding good jobs around, around Cleveland. So uh, th- that's kind of where I, I come from. Plus, you know, d- different, uh, different career, um, uh, career paths and, and currently what, what we do now. Um, I think just, you know, creates that hopefully created a person that can go out there and empathize, talk to, and carry that to Washington. So we are advocating for all groups of this district. Now, uh, I'm going to reiterate this. And and the fact that you can actually defend yourself in Chinese and understand those meetings when you guys have to make deals, I think it's a hell of an asset, especially uh, for your district. Now, uh, to, to end this, I always ask one last question because notice I didn't go and say policy, 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 policy. That's not how most Americans think. So what I'd like to give you the opportunity to do is in a summation, tell your audience, tell not only your district, because yes, you're there to support your district, but you're also there to make policy for the United States of America. Tell your district and America, what does Matthew Deemer represent for them? Matthew Deemer represents them. And the policies that we're going to make are going to represent the will of Ohio's seventh. Look, we are one vote in in the um, House of Representatives, but that vote for the House of Representatives is going to come by by talking to the people, being on the ground and making sure that those conversations are being had and then translated to uh, Washington, D.C. We need to onshore our supply chain. We need to bring good paying jobs. We need to provide for Social Security and pensions. We need to make sure that people are re- able to retire. We need to fix our health care system, which is absolutely a, a mess. You know, and, and people are, are, are getting people are paying way too much for insurance and really getting hosed by huge bills at, at the end of, you know, just routine things. And so these are a lot of things that we really need to focus on. And the only way to do that and get it right. And when it comes to policy is being on the ground, talking to people, making sure that they have a voice in this. Cause that's what my job is, is to get, be the hub in the federal government for this district and all those opinions. And then, and then advocate to get those things done. How can people reach you? They can go to DiemerForCongress.com. That's D-I-E-M-E-R for Congress.com. Uh, you can see our platform. There's a lot of policy up there. There's a lot of uh, my history as well. There's ways to sign up for our emails. There's ways to sign up for volunteering. And there's also ways to donate. And obviously, as I just told you a little bit about my opponent, my opponent it has deep pockets with deep, deep pocketed friends. And uh, this is a grassroots campaign. We're out there. We're pounding the pavement. We're on the district. You know, we're having small backyard fundraisers, not big corporate fundraisers. And that's the, that's the campaign we want. I, that's the camp. That's the representation I would want. And that's the representation I'm going to build for, for you. Matthew Deemer, the common sense candidate for Ohio's 7th District. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I, I, I'm, really, <clears throat> I'm really impressed with this guy. Anyway, welcome to the show. Lee Grant, welcome to the show. I saw some other. Tom C., welcome to the show. Who else knew we got on the show? I saw somebody else, several more actually. 
let's see, Paul Fleming. Um, we also have, para ver, para ver, para ver. Anyhow, Shakula's hairstyle. How you doing, Shakula's hairstyle? Welcome to the program as well. Anyhow, let me read uh, uh, Brother Rudnan's stuff. Kansas City Star, first bumper fleeing coward. January 6th video shows Missouri, who Josh Holly really is. Josh Holly is a laughing stock during the Thursday night's televised hearings of the White House investigating January 6, 27, 2021 coup attempt at the U.S. Capitol. Elaine Luria showed a video of Missouri Junior Senator that will surely follow him for the rest of his life. In the clip, Holly sprints across the hall. He and his fellow senators are evacuated after insurrectionists had breached the Capitol building. When he played on the screen, the audience in the room uh, erupted in laughter. And I laughed as well, man. I laughed as well. Of course, Twitter immediately dogpiled. Holly's name was the number one trending topic in politics that evening as users shared the hashtag Holling Ass along with gifts of a galloping Forrest Gump. A signature Holly issue is masculinity. And in how little of it American men seem to have these days, it's a frequent topic in his speeches and on his podcast where the left-wing attack on manhood is a dire threat to our society. Regnery Publishing is set to release his book, Manhood, The Masculine Virtues of America's Needs, next year. Think they're going to have him running? <laughs> Twitter didn't see much. Viral bravado as he ran from the mob, but funny as the visual of the self-proclaimed manless senator. Immediate retreat was there's absolutely nothing amusing about. January 6, 2021, a bi bipartisan Senate report concluded seven People died as a result of the attack. Two more metropolitan police officers took their own lives shortly thereafter. About 150 members of the law enforcement. And you guys can read the rest, folks. You guys can read the rest. Bridge MCP says, Liz Cheney, we will contemplate a subpoena of Ginny Thomas if she won't willingly testify. Ginny Thomas is a right-wing activist and super fan of former President Donald Trump and the wife of Clarence Thomas, intellectual loadster of the current U.S. Supreme Court. How can you use intellectual next to Clarence Thomas? That doesn't compute, Bree. I mean, you know I love you, Bree, but that doesn't compute. But you said intellectual loadster. Okay, all right. I get it. 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 After Trump failed to win re-election in 2020, she sent a flurry of text messages to Trump. Chief of Staff Mark Meadows promoting false conspiracy theories and urging the administration to overturn the results. The House Committee investigate January 6 attack on the Capitol revealed in March. Hmm. In March. Did her husband take part in her behind-the-scene effort to encourage Trump to stop the steal? So far, she has refused to testify. Bridge also says, A vessel carrying as many as 60 people capsized off the coast of the Bahamas. I heard it was smuggling. The, the island have seen a recent increase in human smuggling. Yep, incidents as Haitians flee dire conditions back home. At least 17 people have died after a boat capsized shortly after midnight on Sunday. Shame, shame, shame. Okay, let's see what else we have here before I get to the next video. It's not as if, this is from E2247, it's not as if we were not warned. Pelosi obstructed the impeachment process as long as she could telling us all on 3-11-19, impeachment is so divisive. And now we got him twice. Huh. Uh, A247, I know exactly what you mean. 
She finally dragged impeachment by a lot of persons. Foremost was Jamie Raskin. Bridge MCP says, oh, look, they are here at the same time. Why is that? Because they are one. Huh. I never thought about that. I didn't, you know, you're right about that, though. Estás correcta, mundo. And when you're right, you're right, girl. All right. WTF is AG Garland doing? ICM, an object less than that, like icebergs, the dangers of Garland plus 45 plus scudas. Perils, 90% submerged are quite real. That is so funny. I'm scared to pull up the video. Michael Running says, I'll take a guess that Tank's the one running the both of those trolling pages. Possibly. But you know, they didn't answer, so I hope you cut I cut the I hope you cut the card, Senor Rudnan. You have the power to do so, and so does Bridge MCP. All right, Eric Hay says May 21st, New York. Larry Summers is urging Washington to top tap the brakes on stimulus or risk unleashing a serious burst of inflation. I think policy is rather overdoing, Summers said in recorded comments at the CoinDesk reference that were released Wednesday. The sense of serenity and complacency being projected by the economic numbers. Okay, I'm going to tell you something. It is now time for me then, because of what brother, um, what he's, what I, what he made me read. Now I am, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and play if I can find it. Today's most important video, and yes, it is Larry Summers. Larry Summers is putting out a notion out there that it is we the people who must actually suffer the indignities of inflation that was created by the same people who want us now to suffer said indignities. I want you guys to listen to this and then we'll take it on the other side because it, it is upsetting to me. I want to really preface this. It is absolutely upsetting to me that these criminal corporatists constantly cause the death and the harming of the American people with their policies and always then ask us to sweep up the mess. Without further ado, here we go. Larry Summer strikes again. It behooves me, folks. I mean, it really behooves me. That these wealthy elitists, uh, economists, advisors of every stripe simply don't understand. And it simply seems like whenever there is an economic problem, they want the economic problem solved on the backs of the poor and the middle class. I'll give you an example with something that Larry Summers said to Farid Zakaria. And then we'll take it on the other side because it is amazing that he can actually have these words emanate from his mouth. Check this out. One of the people who disagreed with you in previous years has been Paul Krugman, who has written something where he says uh, you were right. He was wrong about inflation. But he says you were right for the wrong reasons, that actually the big COVID spending bill didn't have that bad an effect on the economy. What really happened was something unforeseen by anybody, which was that coming out of the pandemic, uh, supply chains got screwed up. People started uh, buying lots more goods rather than services. And all those kind of snafus and log jams caused by the pandemic are really what has produced this inflation. 
exactly the same kinds of supply chain problems if huge amounts of money had not been put in people's pockets that enabled them to spend. If we weren't giving people who were laid off unemployment insurance that was far more than the salaries they had been earning, if we weren't mailing checks willy nilly uh, to uh families, there would have been less spending. That would have meant less bottlenecks. It was predictable that supply would be reduced. We had a pandemic. But when supply is reduced, you have to reduce demand as well if you don't want to have substantial inflation. Printing money and distributing it well ahead of the supply of goods is a prescription for inflation. And uh, that's uh, what we did. We injected enough money into the economy to make total spending grow at an 11.6% rate last year. When you have 11.6 growth rate in spending, then on any reasonable theory of how much capacity there is, you're going to have a lot of inflation. And that's what we did. Let me first correct Larry Summers. There was no shortage of gas, but the prices went through the roof. Anyway, Larry Summers would have you believe that there's this mythical market out there. There is a market, but the market these guys speak about is a mythical market because understand what he is saying. He's acknowledging that government does have a role. In other words, if we can put money somewhere, we can get particular results. He also acknowledges that the problem, the supply chain problem indirectly, he, he does it, he acknowledges this indirectly, is the corporate sector's problem. But, but here's his solution. Here's what he says. Well, if you want, give people monies, put more money into their pockets when there's a supply chain problem, then of course prices are going to go up. He's acting as if prices magically go up. Corporate the corporatocracy says we are going to increase the price of this product, whether there is demand or whether there's capacity or not. I'm not talking demand. I'm saying whether there's capacity or not. I can understand price increases when there is no capacity. And the reason why is, well, if there's no capacity, maybe you need some higher prices to help bring back capacity, even though the lack of capacity is the doing of those who created that lack of capacity, the corporatocracy, putting uh, ships, or, I mean, putting jobs overseas and also not having inventories in America, just in time inventory, created those shortages, which then caused the prices to rise. And when the prices rise, these guys make more profits. What we should do is clap, clamp their profits for their failures. In other words, if you failed with the supply chain problem and the prices as such, you charge higher prices, then we return their prof excess profits back to the system for being screwed up in failing to create a supply chain problem that you used to maximize your earlier profits. I mean, it's simple. We are always asking the middle class and the poor to pay. The second thing he says, and you gave more money than they earned with wages that they had before. It has been common knowledge that we've had stagnant wages for over 30, 40 years. In other words, Americans have not really gotten increases in their salaries 
in that time. All the Biden administration did is saying, if we are going to pay you while we ask you to stay home, we are going to pay you a living wage, which is somewhere around 15 bucks an hour. It's really should be quite a bit more. If we had, if our price, if our wages had gone up with inflation and productivity, we would be at tw- a minimum wage of $21 per year, per, per hour. But no, Biden and, and the administration said, okay, we'll pay, the, the money we pay you to stay home is equivalent to 15 bucks an hour while you're staying home and getting things together. Can the middle class and the poor for a change get a break? When the economy cratered, the government had no problem, absolutely no problem, creating something called uh, creating liquidity. Allow, in other words, uh, e- quantitative easing. They had no problems creating quantitative easing for the corporations. You didn't hear them saying, well, you guys put yourself in this position. You guys created derivatives that destroyed the market. They destroyed the market. The corporatocracy destroying the market and the government made them whole. But asking the middle class or putting a few bucks in the middle class's pocket, oh, it's going to be inflationary. No, it's not. It's inflationary for the products that we have short supply on the supply chain problem that these guys created. So, yes, if we allow for inflation on just those products that have supply chain issues, understandable as long as we don't allow those corporate frauds to increase their profits based on the increased prices. We should take it back from them and put it back into the economy. They created the problem. And then they ask the middle class and the poor to pay for it over and over and over again. People, we have to smarten up. We have to stop buying into the fallacies that they tell us. We have to be cognizant. We have to be cognizant of how our economic system actually works. We need a better economic system, but this is what we got right now. We have to get into a bifurcated free enterprise system where we don't have a corporatocracy with dominion over us who dictate what we spend, dictate what we earn, dictate everything. You want freedom? Those people who support the corporatocracy, they're always talking about freedom. That's a false freedom. You want real freedom? Then it should be you who are owning these companies that you work for, then it should be you who are profiting from the labor that you provide. Then it's you who should be in charge. And there are ways to do these things. There are ways not to have tiny point something percent of our population be masters of indentured servants, be masters of antiseptic slaves. We have to do better, but we have to empower our, well, we are already empowered. We have to realize that we are in effect empowered if we choose to use the power of our vote in a collective manner. So folks, first of all, 
go out there and vote and vote as progressive as you can for values that you support. And then let's get busy taking back what is ours. Absolutely so. Absolutely so. And there is a graph, an important. I am so happy Rodnan found that one because this is very indicative. I want you guys to understand those lines. We have been on a straight incline in productivity. That productivity came from robotics. That productivity came from other efficiencies that we built into the system, right? And one would think that with that productivity, that the spoils would be shared. All of us pay taxes to the universe, to create the universities and think tanks that came up with good robotics and all of that. It wasn't created by corporations. Remember, corporations do not take unnecessary risks unless they feel it has a high potential for success. And that's why they steal intellectual property. Well, they buy on the cheap intellectual property from universities. They create virtually nothing. Their labs are just there to enhance what has already been discovered, okay, or already been placed into prototypes. Don't believe this crap about if you, if you take our profits away, we're not going to be able to innovate. They don't innovate in the first place. Most innovation occurs elsewhere, small companies, universities. That's where innovation occurs. And when they pick what they pick from the successes of other people's mistakes and then they monetize it. That is capitalism, not taking risks. Please don't be fooled by the crap. What Rodnan showed there is a perfect example that we see there. Productivity has been going up. Guess what, guys? You, you the people, you guys are geniuses. You did that. That productivity line should say, Humanity. That productivity line should say, we the people. <clears throat> you see that hourly line, however? That hourly, by the way, notice that before 19, uh, just before 1980, that productivity line was tracking your, what again? Your wage line. But then we got, uh, the, the, we got the conservatives starting to assert themselves all the way up until 1980 when Reagan came in. And then we got Reaganomics, also known as supply-side economics, also known as voodoo economics. And look at what that line did. Now, Rudnan likes to put the point there and he likes to say the destruction of the unions. That's part of the problem. Yes, the destruction of the union is partially the answer. But it's also ideological change in thought process of mainly and lonely the baby boomers accepting the crap that Reaganomics had to offer. Right? And, and, and guess what? It all shows up. I remember when uh, doc, uh, Dr. Richard Wolf, I went to one of his seminars, and when Dr. Wolf showed this, I sat there and I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. <clears throat> I never noticed that there's another line that's missing there that I would love for you all to see. Guess what's the line? Guess what's the only line that tracks with productivity? And Michael Rudden, you could probably find this debt, debt, personal debt tracks with productivity. In other words, let me tell you what these creeps did. Let me tell you what these thugs did. Let me tell you what these thieves did. As productivity increased, they stagnated your wages. 
and then they gave you easy credit. So you could have a semblance of doing well. So instead of getting a higher, a, a higher salary, being able to take your freedom of a higher salary and throw it into the bank to save, they said, uh-uh, we are going to keep your wages low. We are going to give you the semblance of having stuff by giving you easy credit. And then you started buying and buying on credit. But guess what? When you bought on credit, you opened up yet another stream of income for those people who were ripping you off. Because with that credit, you didn't only have to pay it back over time. You also had to give them interest, a high interest. So they were making money off of not paying you. And then they make money off of charging you interest for the loans you took out on the productivity you created to make more products. If that isn't the essence of capitalism, I do not know what is. And you know what? We're going to have some that say, but you didn't have to spend the money. You didn't have to buy. It is true. But if your wage are stagnant and things are going up, and you have a family, and you have kids, the human thing to do is to want to do what they give you the options to do. And in this case, it was, in fact, easy credit. Man. Now, Rodney put another one on the screen that I like, and that is where I talked about hourly wages. If, and if, if our wages tracked productivity and inflation, we should be at 20, in, in 2019 or so. We would have been at 2016. Egberto, tracking productivity increases and credit debt. Can't find a graph showing that, but we'll have to research more. Just that graph, you should find that graph along with, look up, look up uh, Richard Wolf. capitalism hits the fan. If you find capitalism hits the fan, uh, you'll do it. Oh my God, I don't, didn't even get to everybody and it's already time. Okay, I'm not going to. play the video i'm going to just try and ask you guys to support the show man time flies when you're having fun sorry for going on that rant but i think it is essential for us to understand what these people have done and continue to do to us that's more important than anything else if there's anything you get out of the show today i want you to get folks i want you to understand how the system works now if you are in the top 20 where you have some managerial control etc you know things are great And 20% of America is a lot of people. That's over 60 million people. And when 60 million people are doing well and, and, the, and the TV shows and everything else is made for them, it is very easy to not see the other 270 million people because those 60 million people can take a lot of airspace. They can take a lot. We can continue to have the 270 million people be servants. of the others. All these things we have to look at, my brothers and sisters. This is not income envy or wealth envy. This is just a system that continuously take and take and take and take and take. And that is what we're all about fighting. That is what we want to mitigate. That is what we want to get better. Anyway, folks, if you, if you like this program, please go ahead. If you're on YouTube, please go ahead and click that join button. Become a part of the Get, get politics on right a coffee or so, if you will, if you can, if you all have the wherewithal, 
a month. Just click on join. If you don't see, alternatively, you can support us on PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. We also need some patrons, politicsandright.com slash patrons, politicsandright.com slash patrons. And of course, if you are not on YouTube, but you, uh, you, you can still become a member on YouTube by going to politicsandright.com slash YouTube. Now, we have a lot of new products in our stores. Uh, we have the new hat, all that good stuff. My hat is on order. This T-shirt that Bridge MCP designed, I'm going to wear it. to wear. As soon as I get the hat, I'm going to wear it with the hat and the T-shirt. Please go to the store, politicsandright.com slash store. Please consider getting one or all of our books. How to Make America Utopia. How to Make America Utopia. Take away the economy from those who rigged it. You want to bring people into the fold? It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. Let's see if I get that picture there. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. And the first book that I wrote, which is the one that teaches all you need to know about economics, is, as I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom. And you can get those books by going to politicsdoneright.com slash books, politicsdoneright.com slash books. Oh, thank you. I... Thank you, and, and, and thank you for that contribution again, uh, Bridge MCP. I'm flying to Pittsburgh in three weeks for Netroots Nation, the largest progressive conglomeration of politicians, activists, bloggers, article writers, everything. I'll be there. Uh, you know, please cons- consider supporting us at politicsandright.com slash Netroots to get us out there, help us out, help us pay down, down those, the credit card bill used to put those things on. Need it? Help us politicsandright.com slash netroots. Roberto Lewis, I'm just seeing your, your thing on. Mi hermano de Panama. Welcome to Politics and Right. Also, please consider, uh, what is the other one that I wanted to show? There's, there's netroots, all that good stuff. Ah, and I, I got my new new chapter. All right, thank you for being here, Radnin. I have my new chapter on, guess what? My new book, which is called Tribulations of an Afro-Caribbean Latino Man. Racism didn't stop my smile, hope, or journey forward. I got a new chapter out. I think I'm up to, what, chapter six or seven? I don't remember which one. But anyway, I have one that's coming out about, uh, but check that one out. I think you're going to like that, the, 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 the latest chapter that I put out there. So I just put that link out there. Let me do it again because it looked like it didn't make it over to YouTube. Uh, there we go. Made it over to YouTube and Facebook. All right. Anyway, let's see what else we got here. I got six more minutes to run through what you guys have been talking about. So bear with me. Let me get, get I'm going to start from the bottom up now because I had to scroll down. The first corporation was a weapons maker established the military industrial congressional complex. That was the Springfield Armory of 1977. All right, let's see what else we got here. Egberto, tracking productivity, increase in credit debt. Can't find graph. I know you'll eventually find it. But Capitalism Hits the Fan was a hell of a program. Anybody can see it. If you go to my website, egbertowillis.com, you can, you can find Capitalism Hits the Fan by Richard Wolff. It, it, is, a, it is one of the must-see. If you, if you want to change your mind as to what the corporatocracy has done to us all, check it out. Eric Hay says, where was the country under Carter? Same as now. Personal debt is now right. No, it's not. It's a lot different than when it was time for Carter. Right now, we have the largest transition of wealth. Com- wealth. Don't mix up wages and wealth. Big difference. It's, I mean, we, well, whatever the case is. Fleming says, hit that like button and hits that thumbs up button. Thank you, brother Fleming. 
Uh, who else we got here? Alyssa Water says, just in time delivery royally screwed up my family up on a quintessential level. I hear you, girlfriend. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, Michael Ronan says, a third one showing it's the actual been about five decades of wage stagnation. I think we all know that. Oh, I, I placed that one up already. All right, let's see what else we got here. Uh, what else we got here? Egberto Stangen, wages versus productivity graph. I got that one. Uh, Michael also says, there are multiple factors for inflation right now. The primary is corporate price gouging. Exactly. I want folks to understand that. There are certain products that there are shortages, and we can sort of understand some inflation on those that we have shortages. But the major cause of inflation is corporate price gouging. And to penalize Americans, the middle class and the poor, which is what my, my thing, which is what I was trying to say in that video, to penalize us with a recession because those thugs decided to rob us blind and to stop. Here's, here's what people don't understand with recessions being used to stop inflation. Because that is what, the, that is what ultimately is going to happen with the Federal Reserve. They are going to put interest rates in such a manner that it slows down the economy to give a recession. Who gets hurt in a recession with high interest rates? The, the, the poor people and middle class people who have high credit card debt, those are going to go through the roof. Read your contract as far as how, how high it's going to go. And secondly, those people who lose their jobs as the economy slows down. So in order to protect the thugs who are causing inflation, we hurt the average American citizen with a recession. But we could do better. We could simply say, you guys, you want to see the prices stop? You just say one thing. We get put prices back to where they were pre-pandemic. In other words, prices were before pre-pandemic. And any, any profits over that goes back into the government coffers. If you don't stop inflation now, we will start instituting controls. Watch how fast things change. You want the oil company to behave themselves? Threaten nationalization. I don't want to threaten nationalization. I want to nationalize those suckers right now. Right now. I want the oil companies nationalized. And all the executives, they either, they, they either abide by what everybody else is doing or be gone. It is time for us as American citizens, as people who actually pays the bills, corporate executives do nothing for, for what they earn. Remember that. Please stop being, let's, we have to stop thinking these guys are special. We have to stop thinking these guys are special. They're special is that they are, it's the only job that can legally rob you and not go to jail for it. Somebody goes into a 7-Eleven and they take a piece of candy, they're thrown in jail. A corporate executive, because he has or she has the power to, and it's usually a he can act much better. Uh, they have the urge because they understand families. Because they can raise the prices. Think about this. What do they do? They raise the prices. You know, we talk about all those killers on the streets with guns. You know how many people have died because of high wages? Do you know how many people have died because they couldn't afford? Do you know? 
let's let's be clear, folks. It is not time. Uh, brother uh, Matthew Deemer taught me not to try to avoid using indoctrination too often and try to understand that it is what people understand. According to what the right says, as you know, Egberto Willis Corp are great. Oh, no, they're not. But you get it, girl. You get it. Folks, I didn't read all of your message live, but I'll read it afterwards. And do understand that this is your show. So please, I ask you so kindly to click that join button if you're on YouTube. If you're not on YouTube, please go to politicsdoneright.com slash support. politicsdoneright.com slash support. And support the program in however form you can. Let me tell you, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, 2022 is not a foregone conclusion. But what, what I do here, what many other small broadcasters like me do here, our job is to do exactly that. For those people in the different corners that likely wouldn't vote or think that there's no hope, we are there to say, you still have one vote. While we still have one vote, let's keep using it so that we can have that one vote, one election cycle longer. Because if we vote wrong, if we vote wrong, there's a good chance that democracy as we know it in America would no longer exist. Notice what I said, democracy as we know it in America, there will be a group on the right that believe, okay, it doesn't matter because we at least have our democracy. This small minority have this democracy. Folks, they always come for the next. You know, right now, right now, I'm going to go over by 30 seconds or so because I want to say this. I was talking to one of my white brothers, right? And he was talking to me and he said, you know, Egberto, one of the problems right now is that white men feel like, um, you know, everybody's after us right now and, and X, Y, Z. And I explained to him what the reality was. And he, he said, oh, man, I never, I never thought about it that way. I never thought, man, Egberto, really, they, they're really playing with us. And, and ultimately, what I was able to show him is that in the long run, they're all coming for you. Even if you think that you are the winner right now, the corrosive nature of our economic system, an unbalanced economic system that cannot stand on its own, eventually has to eat all of its own to survive. And it used to be those people that didn't matter that it could eat. Nobody cared. Because it was just those indigenous and those people of color who were living the poor life and that they, they were abused and excess was taken from them. But they ran out of those people. So who was left to be taken care? Who was left? My white brothers and sisters, that's who is left. And that's why that suffering is extended now, right? Because at first you could disregard those others. Because, you know, even as you feel, feel some compassion, you could feel that this is not going to happen to me. Nah, this won't happen to me.
But then the economic system, an unbalanced economic system, it has to keep eating. If one side is growing at 7 and 8 and 10% and everybody else is at 2%, eventually they have to get to you. And they've gotten to you. My name is Egberto Willies. This is Politics Done Right, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.